The Punisher, Season 2, Episode 4, Scar Tissue. What's up, fellow Defenders? This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 209, where we're talking about The Punisher, season 2, episode 4, Scar Tissue. I'm one of your hosts, Chris, and I'm joined by the illustrious Punishering co-hosts with me today. Yes, the notorious Derek. (laughs) (laughs) We had just decided it was going to be John that went next, but I am one of your other hosts, Derek, for Defenders TV Podcast about Scar Tissue episode four of the punisher and i cannot stop singing red hot chili peppers every time i read the title of it i'm just keep singing scar tissue yes hello dello fafenders uh i am your other host john <laughs> yes yeah, so we are all back we're all here and we're going to be talking about this episode and we're going to get be getting in deep but because this is a podcast and we want your feedback why not come over and join us on our facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash defenders tv podcast ask me why i still say forward slash i don't know because slash works just the same <laughs> smiley face or you could send us your voicemails through the website at defenders tv podcast.com get your dulcet tones on this podcast with us or don't want that you want to just send us your written feedback no problem send us your emails to feedback at defenders tv podcast.com and we will read them out on the air but because we do not watch ahead as we podcast please remember to mark in the subject line which episode you are actually reviewing or sending feedback for and if you just want to send us your thoughts or the whole season the whole just mark it as so so do you know why just so we don't get spoiled because not spoiling is caring yes do you know on episode one of this season's podcast chris john called email old mail if you want to go old school send us yeah. an email i'm like what <laughs> old, old school, school? styley i was email. like do we have a postal Ooh. address do we need a p.o box and he's like no no old school like email. No, chat groups now yeah well let's kick into it because i know the three of us have a lot to say about this episode so b- before we get into our top five bullet points and review the whole episode derek do you want to give us the episode details sure yes this episode was written by angela lamana uh, angela was the story editor on on season one of the punisher and also did one of the episodes she did uh, front towards enemy and um, she'd worked previously with the showrunner steve lightfoot over on hannibal an excellent show we've always recommended hannibal and i'm glad that angela's been kept on for this season uh, she did the episode the number of the beast is 666 which was in season three of hannibal a really good episode well remembered years later i still remember that episode absolutely and Gotham slash Defenders TV podcast did actually review the number of the Beast is 666 because myself and uh, Irene, one of our earliest co-hosts on Defenders TV podcast, did cover season three of Hannibal. Um, and we were going to do a retrospective of seasons one and two. And we never really got around to it. But number of the Beast is 666 is fantastic fantastic yeah with richard armitage who of course was in the long night the wolverine scripted podcast uh, earlier last year so yeah really uh really cool that angela is doing another bit of writing for season two of the punisher yeah you know the wolverine uh, the long night actually won the best scripted podcast of uh, of 2018 excellent stuff yeah brilliant 
because it was great really really good looking forward to season 2 of that actually coming out later on this year um, this episode was directed by Ian B. MacDonald uh, he started out making documentaries but it had a huge amount of projects that he'd worked on before uh, he worked on Mansfield Park and the comedy series episodes with Matt LeBlanc which is really interesting to come from you know kind of big costume dramas into comedy series and then going on to The Punisher this is his first show for Marvel uh, this episode of The Punisher so a very diverse background yeah uh, very diverse I think here yeah. mm-hmm. but uh, yeah cool to have a new director on board yeah yeah yeah. we're glad he's here so John with the episode Dita's out of the way do you want to tell us what they gave us in your synopsis sure in New York Dina Madani desperately tries to hide her obsessive pursuit of Billy Russo from her colleagues and the NYPD and the presence of Frank Castle and the girl called Rachel in her apartment. At Madani's home, memories come back to haunt Rachel as she recalls the violent night everything changed, and lets Frank in on the truth about her situation and her real name, Amy. Frank reconnects with Curtis as he tries to figure out where Billy has gone to ground. Meanwhile, scarred and confused, Russo is stalked by dark memories as he battles to remember who he is and where he belongs. As he returns to familiar places to jog his memory, he comes face to face with a shadow from his childhood that ends in blood. Tired, bloody and dirty, Russo continues to run from the law and his past. He makes his way to Dr. Dumont's home, where he asks for her help to finally become the best version of himself. Nice. I thought you were going to put into the uh, synopsis here about... Rachel is finally Amy and Pete is finally Frank. So after four episodes, we finally have it confirmed. They're going to stay with these names for the rest of the season, aren't they? We we know it's Amy now. She's officially confirmed it to Frank. And we know Frank is Frank and she knows who he is because she's actually read all about his past on the Internet. So they they have now got confirmed characters. Only a few more characters to get real names now and we should have a full set. Yeah, we don't know whether Curtis is actually called Fred. <laughs> I'm just oh, going for Punisher Bingo. That's <laughs> just like, hey, we got them all. It worked out. And what is Dr. Dumont's real first name? <laughs> all will be revealed. That's if she survives the night, of course. Well, yes, absolutely. Uh, let's get into our bullet points, guys, for this episode. Uh, bullet point number one, a bus ride with Billy. Really, there's loads of stuff with Billy going on in this episode, but the episode kicks off with this bus ride. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to just jump in right here. I pretty much should just stop making predictions about any show we podcast on because <laughs> I will make a prediction the previous episode. Go and watch it and it will just literally straight out of the bat prove my prediction wrong. So in our last podcast, obviously I was like, yeah, you know, it would be great. I think what they're going to do is keep Russo away, keep Billy in the dark so you don't fully see his disfigurement. No, no, no. Within the opening 10 seconds of this episode, <laughs> we get a full frontal facial of none other than Billy Russo of Jigsaw's scarred face. And I was right. Yes, he is not that badly disfigured. If I looked as pretty as him and had those scars, I'd be fine. But yeah. Billy does get new clothes uh, from a dig bick, indeed. Uh, but he doesn't take that T-shirt, of course. Uh, I think, you know, actually, I noticed it a little later on in the episode. I think he takes the T-shirt and turns it inside out because he's he's more polite than the dig bick guy. That's very difficult to say <laughs> without messing it up. And genuinely, when I when I read it, when it was on screen, I'm sure, certain I read it the other way around. Well, it was the same as trying to remember how to say uh, fellow defenders backwards. That's why I had to write it out, and hence why I said... Hello, Dello for Fenders. Yes, I was kind of confused at that, job, but I knew you'd explain it later on. I have now explained it, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, and much like John has just given his 
Basil Exposition. I really do feel we're in this episode, from the opening, we got Basil Exposition. This is what this episode was, and especially even in these opening scenes with the flashback and Billy, we're, we're getting all the exposition of, mm-hmm. we, we were trying to figure out where the mask came from. Derek, ding, 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 you were Yay. 100% right. I got it, I got it, it yeah. It was... How do you want the world to see you? Mm-hmm. It wasn't ju- just Madani being a dig bick, yeah, kind of drawing on his mask. <laughs> a naughty schoolgirl. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I was convinced it was Madani. I thought she was being like really mischievous or something. But it, it was nice to finally realize that it was part of his therapy. Although I really did like the the blank mask as well as i said in the last uh, podcast it, it has that halloween vibe when you just see the eyes and sort of the mouth you hear the noise of him speaking but you don't see anything moving yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's, it's nice and creepy I it think. takes away the humanity from i think there's a couple of horror films that have used that things like the strangers have used yeah. it um where they're just wearing these blank masks as they're as they're attacking the families we've seen it in the purge as we mentioned before and then we've also seen the other thing of in the purge where they design the masks to make them even creepier which is what we kind of get in this episode as well but yeah we're, we weren't the only ones just to point out over on our facebook group uh, jamie alexander as well one of our fellow defenders uh, did think exactly the same she was like did didn't Madani do that while he was asleep <laughs> just just to annoy him you know we're obviously very petty people all of us thinking that that's how you get back at a guy that shoots you in the head you, you draw on his face <laughs> i'm sure she has worse things uh, planned for uh, for him than drawing on his face while he's asleep but yeah exactly i mean i have to say though uh, in terms of uh, billy russo's facial scarring too little just enough or uh, too much i mean for me i kind of i'm kind of happy with yeah that level of facial scarring it it allows him to still be seen you know he's not behind a a ton of prosthetics absolutely agree i think it's the right amount and i do think when people say to him what happened to your face it is the right level they've pitched it at because it is still enough damage that people would look at you when you're walking down the street it's still enough that people would question oh i wonder what happened to that guy you know it doesn't have to be completely disfiguring and make him unable to act through prosthetics to uh, to warrant that those kind of questions from people as they go by. You can see when that guy gets in the bus, actually the reason that the guy hassles him on the bus is because, well, he's wearing socks on the bus, which are covered in crap from the streets of New York. And then he looks at him and goes, oh, hold on a second. This guy has also been disfigured, so starts really amping up and, and attacking him. Yeah, absolutely. My personal opinion, I, I'd like to see a few more scars. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, nothing major more. Like we're not talking. I, I'm not talking like you said, mass amounts of prosthetics. Just I think a tiny bit more because remembering back, there was a lot of damage done by Frank and Madani. Like they 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 shredded him a bit. Um. So I would have said like to see a bit more scar tissue. The other thing I did notice, and this is more just coming from a guy who has a lot of facial hair. Mm-hmm. Um. The scars are conveniently in. Um, places where there is no beard growth, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that they didn't have to blanket over the beard growth. Of course. And yeah. Yeah. kind of have to have these patch. Even if they had done that, it would have been a bit more believable. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I'm okay with the level it's at now. It's just, John, you're saying, like, what would I want? I'd want a tiny bit more. Yeah. Like, maybe even just like a few that run the full length. Because we do remember he was smashed in and pulled down. Mm-hmm. into the glass in the mirror 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think with this version of uh, Billy Russo or, you know, Jigsaw, I suppose, um, there's some really good quotes in this episode playing with his psychological scarring. Yeah. So in, in a sense that those scars um, that are purely kind of cosmetic or, or uh, skin deep uh, run far deeper, both in terms of um, what happened between him and, and Frank. I, I do really like that moment where... Um, Dumont says to him, have you seen the skull in your dreams recently? Mm-hmm. And there's that really kind of nice sort of quick rapid flash of seeing this this skull on on legs effectively coming yeah. towards him. And then obviously as we move through this episode that, you know, there's a bit of uh, additional uh, deep dive into Billy Russo's past as well. But uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I, I'm happy with it. And um, I think it could always have a little bit more scarring, um, but it's amazing what they can do now, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I think one of the things I, I would say, though, if they were planning to do this in season one, if they're planning for a season two, or if they're planning perhaps during the middle of season one to have him have the damage afflicted to him and then bring him back afterwards, I think they probably would have had him with no beard throughout season one. And then you come back in season two and he has a beard and he has the damage and scar on his face so it makes it look like they may be the beard may be covering up some more scarring if that makes sense but obviously as you say chris because he already had the beard in season one and you see it again this time well you're not going to see the scarring underneath it anyway so yeah and i think that's part of it and i think actually as you said in previous episodes this is the first time he was damaged by the punisher mm-hmm. um so actually the the worst scars he has is as john said the psychological damage and scars he has exactly but then over time with the punisher beating the hell out of you they build up the the outside will match the inside over time Mm -hmm. so at the moment they the the outside is actually prettier than what the inside is yeah and can we talk about the design on the mask as well because again this is encouraged by his therapist telling him to present the face that he wants the world to see of him. And he could have drawn anything on the mask. Uh, we see on the mask, it seems like he's incorporated a little bit of the American flag. We've got the blue and the red around the edges of the mask. And then we've also got the scarring, which is all over it, which means that he is trying to present to the world this really ugly face of himself that's below it. So uh, interesting choices of, of the character to do it that way, rather than presenting something like a smiling face or you know something as simple as that. He's really thought about how horrible and ugly he can make this mask look yeah and yeah. speaking of ugly ugly things let's move on to point number two because oh danny has a nice apartment mm-hmm. and it is in no way ugly and no way like any other new york apartment i've ever seen <laughs> i thought it looked really gray i don't know why i was kind of there going where's the color madani uh it was so great but i mean to be honest uh, yeah, it felt like a small New York apartment with three people stuck in it. Oh, yeah, Don't you think? I think as not New Yorkers, we're spoiled by what we see on TV and movies. Like genuinely, this is what you would expect and probably a little bigger than what you'd probably yeah, get probably. in New York. You've got, you know, it's basically a bed sit, which is what we call it in Ireland, which is, you know, a bedroom with a very, very small wall between a kitchen and a living area, like really, really small two room apartment. And I guess a bathroom is called a room. So three room apartment, right? And that's it. That's all there is there. What struck me is how well designed this is for a person like Madani, because all that's there is, the very simple basics. You know, I love that moment when you have Rachel, now Amy, as we're going to call her Amy from now on, uh, where we have her going through the wardrobe and it's basically a couple of pantsuits, 
three white shirts, three blue shirts, you know, three yeah, white yeah. shirts. It's like, that's it. That's her entire wardrobe. And it looks exactly the same well, pretty much every day. Yeah. And Amy actually gives out for how neat it is. It's yeah. like, how can anyone live like this? It's so neat mm-hmm. and ordered. There's no kind of bit of dust or, or chaos. And uh, yeah, I mean, the living arrangements, you know, is, is interesting. I, I think what's really good here is that, you know, we have Frank and Rachel back in her apartment uh, yet she is um, lying to Rafi in Homeland Security, a colleague, yeah. and of course uh, Mahoney uh, from the NYPD about Frank being back in New York and staying with her and the pursuit of Billy Russo, which is coming, becoming a bit of a, an obsession yeah. uh, for her, really. And, do you know, I mean, I know I said this whilst we were watching it. It's like it does make her have a bit of a sort of abrupt kind of feel to her yeah like i was going madani's becoming a bit of a dig bit here it's like she's really um she's really at people um and it's kind of like a bit of sympathy from from me is being lost on her because she's just it works to the character because she is being completely overtaken by her pursuit of billy she Mm. needs this revenge she needs to take him down you know she she's gone after dumont because she thinks that dumont can't do a job and that she's missed something she's convinced billy has been hiding stuff and and it's great that you hear curtis saying that he had to go as well and that he wasn't faking it yeah um so she's really you know things are off kilter for madani she's you know the the apple cart has been upset by all of this and it kind of just by that very fact, she's taking it out on other people, I think. I, I, I'm in agreement with you up until the later point where it's her and Mahoney in Arthur's place, which we'll talk more about in kind of later yeah, yeah. point. Yeah. Because there, that seems to be the flip. Yeah, I it seems really that's nasty. The, that's the moment she becomes the agent in charge again. So I think potentially what we've seen is her like constantly battling with these two points which she wasn't ready to go back to work yeah she was worried and now she's like no i need work in order to pursue this so i think what we're getting now is this stronger nasty tough as nails madani whereas before she was a bit more she was never bright-eyed big-eyed wide and innocent Madani. She was very hard in season one. I remember those whole conversations that she had with Karen Page where she was the one pushing everything that was going on. Um, I think when John made, made this comment about Madani in this episode, I think my feeling when I watched it was kind of going, God, she's learning stuff from Frank. She's spent so much time with how Frank Castle deals with the world. And she has this argument with Frank about, you know, he's saying to her, you wanted me to take the shot, didn't you? And she's kind of denying it, but you can feel that that's what she wanted in season one. Her character in season one wasn't hard enough to take that bullet and put it in Billy's head. She now wants to do that herself. She now doesn't want to use anybody else to get in the way of her taking that shot, killing Billy and putting him, putting him down. Um, and that's where she's, that's the character she's turned into because of what Billy's done to her. I think this explanation, I'm not a huge fan of exposition in shows where it's just a character telling you what they've seen over, over time. It's kind of use the screen, you know, use your ability to film the stuff. But I think when you hear Madani talking about the day after day that she watched Billy build himself back up from hell, this guy couldn't walk, talk, 
breathe. Yeah. She was like, they didn't think he could go to the bathroom for himself at all, but he got better. And they didn't think he could stand up, but he got better. And he worked on it. This guy has come back from a further point than she ever thought possible. And all the doctors told her it wasn't going to be possible. This guy has gone through all of this and now he's free. So you can see how much it's tearing her up inside that she believed everybody around her when they were telling her, you're fine, you're safe. This guy's never leaving. And now he's out and free. Yeah, that was a great moment, actually, when she effectively you see the bitterness you you see that creep in as she describes billy's recovery from all these different things you know he was in a coma he might not wake up he wakes up as you say you know he's he's gonna have brain damage but actually it's not as bad you know the functions start to return and all this kind of thing and i think that's really nice and that's what i mean i mean when i say nasty maybe hard-edged is more about it and it comes across that when you know we all loved uh sergeant mahoney and and she's like saying to him she, she's giving out to him because he's a he's a, a an nypd officer you know he's a boy in blue he's not homeland yeah. she kind of does that whole uh sort of rank kind of thing or pulls rank on him really yeah. and you're just kind of like oh, madani stop projecting it onto mahoney and to all these other people that are also trying to help it's that kind of blinded by obsessiveness a bit uh, but it, it it's a really nice um development for madani i think um and, and I, I i do really like it i have to say mm-hmm. and just one of the points as well that notebook i think i said back in uh, the previous episode that the notebook that madani picked up in the hospital i thought that that notebook was actually uh, the doctor's notebook for some reason of course it was billy's notebook that makes a lot more sense um this is the notebook that billy's been journaling about all of his experiences and what we see in this episode is actually well he hasn't really been journaling He's been drawing images of Frank Castle. He remembers Frank Castle. And this is what's been convincing Madani the whole time, that he actually has kept his memories much more than everybody else thinks, because he's seeing these violent moments with Frank and trying to draw these violent moments in the paper. And she she knows from this, there's something wrong with his psychology. Yeah, I, I think as well, just going back to the living arrangements here, you know, we see... I think this this episode, I think you described it really well, actually, Derek, when you said it's kind of about memories. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about connections. You know, here we see Rachel or Amy, I should say, sleeping under the bed as, as Frank kind of makes himself comfy on the sofa. And all these kind of memories start coming back to her uh, of her and the group that she was rolling with um, and, and just all these pretty shocking scenes of of death out of her her friends uh and you know it's all these memories it's kind of like this isn't a flashback episode this is kind of like a recalling episode this this um imagery of memory um and and we have that with billy as well in this uh episode and and it's about memories and connections and i think uh so moving on to bullet point three we have that connection that frank has with um with curtis yeah as well as billy and, and they come to that um so yeah on to bullet point three uh fishing with dynamite uh you know, frank pays a, a really interesting visit to to curtis who um you know likes to read with firearms basically um <laughs> you know a good book and a good semi-automatic i feel uh, so revolver. sorry for him when he says that though that he's has to be his own night's watchman basically because he's so in terror of the fact that Billy found where he was and Billy blamed him for everything and tried to kill him uh, last time they met, even though he's Billy's next of kin and he's seen what Billy's gone through, he still feels like Billy's going to be after him. You know, he still can't sleep at night because he feels he's on the target list. You know, you do feel very sorry for poor Curtis, who 
was completely out of it. He even has that moment with Frank going, I just want a normal life. You know, I want to you know, go fishing with my friends, like all of our other ex-army friends. They just go fishing together. They don't have this kind of situation going on the whole time. And Frank goes, well, I tried to keep you out of it. And he goes, well, that's not enough. You clearly didn't do enough, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I really enjoy that they bring Curtis back because he's always Definitely. been, for me, the, the anchor of what Frank should be. So, as you said, they, they, these are the characters who are back he lost his leg he suffered greatly but he's trying to do and be better so he Mm -hmm. has the counseling uh support groups um he's the one who's saying yeah i want to go and just kind of fish but instead he's stuck like you said being his own guards to be fair if i thought a madman who had to be fair, marine-style training and could probably kind of destroy the building. I wouldn't be sitting in my apartment. He did say that he has a girlfriend now, mm-hmm. or that he's kind of he does kind of like her. I'd be like, yeah, I'm just going to stay with you. They're fumigating my apartment <laughs> uh, for the week. Now, this is a different place that he had in season one. This is a new place. I just like the fact that Frank turns up at his door, which means that Frank found out where he lives. And made his way there and yeah. got there. And if he can do that, Billy could do it. You know, I know what you mean, Chris. You know, it's how far can you hide from these guys finding you? I get the feeling that Frank has enough contacts that he would be able to root him out. We saw Billy was able to find him last season as well. And we saw that he was sitting at home with a gun and still wasn't able to take out Billy. So nothing is going to help him. I think that's part of the, the whole challenge with Curtis. He always feels like I want to do something and I'll try and do something. But no matter what I do, I'm not going to be able to get out of this unless people aren't chasing me down all the time you know (laughs) yeah no i just like that they brought him back and i do like that he's harsh with frank this is the second character in this episode who calls frank on his bs actually third uh, if we count amy Mm -hmm. um and it's interesting that it's starting to look like frank is understanding that sometimes his inability to take action or his overaction Mm. is causing damage or collateral damage to his uh, friends, acquaintances, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And can I just say I do love the line, hence the name of this bullet point, I do love the line from Frank going, well, I've gone fishing with dynamite before. That's pretty easy. And I love the put down from Curtis afterward. <laughs> That's what's so wrong with your generation and your instant gratification. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a, a, great, a great idea of a person that would go fishing for 10 hours to spend time with a mate and a person that would throw dynamite into a pool to just kill the fish. There's two totally different approaches to life right there. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think as well what I really like about this, it's great to reconnect with Curtis, but I like the fact that even though it's just Curtis, Curtis and Frank in his kitchen. Billy is also there. I love the fact that that connection, you know, that that there's the chit chat that goes back to when they were in the Marines Mm -hmm. and and back doing their military service. And ultimately it leads into that, you know, as they try and talk about, you know, where would he have gone? Where would he be now that he's escaped from the hospital? And, And we get that um, you know, memory coming in of Frank and Billy. So even though he's with Curtis, Billy sneaks into the whole conversation, obviously, but it's almost then with this memory 
that Billy is also there. And we see that, you know, a bit like with Poindexter from Daredevil Season 3, he's a big baseball fan. um, Mm -hmm. And certainly, uh, you know, how he's from a different side of the track to Frank. uh, And you get that history uh, of, uh, of Billy here, just purely so that Frank and Curtis can work out or try and think, where is he? Where's he gone to ground? Where where's he run to? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I really like that. You just made me sad again that we're not ever going to get a crossover between the Daredevil show and the Punisher again because we could possibly have supervillain baseball coming up. Yeah, with Bullseye and uh, and Jigsaw on the same team. How cool would that be? I would have enjoyed that one. I have yeah. to admit. Well, Poindexter would just kill anyone that came into bat because it, <laughs> it would just go straight into the forehead. <laughs> but so moving on to bullet point number four, let's talk about Billy and Billy's vendetta. This was really interesting. I really like this. Yeah, me too. So some of you uh, who had watched season one may remember, we see that Billy had grown up in an orphanage because his mother had given him up for adoption. Um, and, we find out that the, he had enjoyed baseball for years and he tells Frank about a man called Arthur who had killed his passion for baseball. Um, mm-hmm. Not because it had stopped anything, but because something about a stick had uh, damaged his shoulder. And his, that, his mm-hmm. shoulder still hurt when he was throwing the baseball, but it just killed his passion. So we find out as he goes to visit Arthur. They don't expressly mention anything, but we do get hints that Arthur had um, abused other boys in the orphanage, and he does call Billy beautiful and a few things like that. But then it comes out at the end that when he had obviously tried his advance with Billy, Billy had uh, attacked him with a stick, Um, And that had caused ruckus. And then uh, Arthur lost the orphanage. The boy's home was gone. It's now turned into apartments. Mm -hmm. So we really find out that life was not a good life for Billy as a young boy. Absolutely. And remember, again, Arthur also says that one of Billy's friends, Tommy O'Neill, is the one that reported him to the police. And that's the couple of years that he spent in prison, Sing Sing is a prison in New York. So um, Arthur is saying that he went to prison for two years after being reported by one of the other boys. Um, Some little bits about this, they don't really go into too much detail, but you can kind of get from it that I'm not too sure whether it was just because... Uh, Arthur was making advances towards Billy that he attacked him. It feels like Billy also was standing up for some of the other kids that were in the orphanage as well. It wasn't just that he was refusing the advances from Arthur himself. It sounds like he was trying to protect some of the other kids that were in uh, in the orphanage. It's just yeah. the way Arthur's talking to him about this other kid, Tommy O'Neill, turning on him and reporting him to the police. It feels like because of what you did, Billy, some of the other kids stood up for themselves and they wouldn't have done that if you didn't do what you were doing. It feels like they're trying to put a little bit of heroism into Billy's character in this episode by just this conversation. But again, they don't go into too much detail of it, so it's quite difficult to pick up. Yeah, and it gets even stranger. Like, we see broken Billy, I think I want to start calling him, which is the the, the, the Billy who is almost like that child who's kind of shutting himself off he's very kind of closed off he's hunched over and Mm. as arthur starts abusing him verbally billy goes i was in the marines and he goes oh big man is that what happened to you did the jihads do this to you is that you wanted to come back and pay me and it's just you see the wind up and Mm -hmm. then we see why i like ben barnes we see yeah. that just dramatic change, similar actually what to what we talked about when you mentioned 
bullseye in season three mm-hmm. of Daredevil. Just that flip of a switch and just the, the actor's face changes to the point where the person who was watching this episode with me turned around and goes, Oh, he, he's in trouble. Yeah. Uh, just cause yeah. it was just that it was cold anger. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just pure hatred in the eyes. The face was just stoic, but the yeah. eyes yeah. kind of told it all. Definitely. I, I think for me, this is actually, um, the, the whole scene between Arthur and, uh, Billy. I think it's the best part of this entire episode. Mm-hmm. And and when they have the face-off between the two of them, it's so intense. It's so good. And, um, you know, it's it's not said explicitly about the sexual abuse and so on and uh, the, the physical damage, the mental damage that Billy's going on, uh, that journey. But it's just so intense. And I think it's really, really nicely done. And as you say, Chris, that moment where, you know, you have uh, Billy Russo sort of battling with what he's thinking and how he's trying to process stuff because of what Arthur's shouting at him. Yeah. Uh, to that moment where maybe it's clicked back into place, that network has, has, has reconnected and he's learnt a bit more about uh, himself and about his past. And you get that cold stir back. And then obviously then uh, when uh, you have Madani and um, Mahoney arrive... Uh, obviously not together at the place and you just see arthur dead on the floor with the top of a broom that's kind of piercing his chest um then like it, it's just so intense i i think this is like phenomenally good because even from arthur you kind of get this notion about billy that he is he's from the other side of the tracks like he discussed with frank but that he's always had this hard tough dangerous streak and arthur recognized that um even though he was uh physically stronger than him did his shoulder in that um you know billy has always been dangerous to some extent even as a kid and mm. growing up and i i've really really enjoyed that light being shed on to to billy actually yeah yeah you're absolutely right it's something that i didn't really get while i was watching the episode that obviously there are loads of pieces of billy's past that he doesn't remember it's not just that the last thing he remembers was him hanging around with Curtis and Frank uh, when they were in the army together chatting away and then everything before that he remembers. It's also other traumatic experiences in his life that he doesn't remember. So, you know, we have a, a little moment where he says to him, I couldn't really remember everything that was going on, but I remembered your address stirred away that came right back into the front of my head. So he knew he had a mission in the back of his mind, even before losing all of his memories, that he was going to pay a visit to Arthur at some point. That was in his head to do. And it's only when Arthur pushes him again, like last episode, where he was pushed and that's how he freaked out, beat up the cops and left the hospital. This episode, it's only when he's pushed and that's when his memory kind of cracks back into place and he kills Arthur. I'm wondering if this is going to be our pattern for Billy for the rest of the season. If he gets pushed and then his mind makes a mental leap, connects the gaps, and that's where he becomes as violent as he's known to be, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, and then we have him go back to Dr. Dumont to her house. You know, he's stalked her. He's followed her back from work. Yeah. Um, and Creepy. yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a pretty tough situation that because you have uh, Billy Russo in her house she tells him to go and get cleaned up grab a shower and she has the the phone there and i i'm kind of wondering is there going to be this moment between the two of them that is like um 
what's it, Stockholm Syndrome or something yeah. along those lines. Not so much that, you know, she's going to fall for him, although it's just going to be that there's going to be a sense of loyalty that, you know, she still thinks that she can help him and there's some yeah, kind of loyalty yeah, yeah. there. I, I don't know. It's just the fact that she puts the phone away when he comes out of the bathroom and he's there in the corridor. Now, maybe he's just going to kill her. Who knows? We might see that in the next episode. But it was just the way she went from presumably about to text or, or phone the police or something. We heard her dial 911. We heard her dial those digits. And then he says to her, I wouldn't blame you. And they have the conversation. And then she has. I'm trying to think there is actually a term for this uh, in medical circles where it's kind of almost like a, a, a doctor who believes they can always save a patient is pushed into these circumstances. Not just Stockholm Syndrome. It's it's a different... I'm yeah, just trying to think of the term. Stockholm where, Syndrome is not the right yeah. uh, uh, phrase. I don't know what syndrome is in mm-hmm. a sense, but it, it's that idea of feeling that connection to someone who maybe you shouldn't have. Yeah. Uh, it's, feel, it's feeling you can save them when maybe you should give up. Yeah, yeah I'm getting strong vibes of Harley Quinzel, of Harley Quinn, and who's a psychologist who believes she could save the the Joker. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting strong vibes of that there, which it, it, we may end up seeing Dr. Dumont like thinking that if she works with Billy and she kind of helps Billy, she'll be able to save Billy and save this mm-hmm. patient. Um, as we see from the very end of this episode where he says, I need help. Yeah. I need you. Your, I need your guidance. I'm getting very strong vibes of that where in the end, I could see her doing like, like breaking her um, vow at the Hippocratic Oath and actually killing someone or something like that. In the end okay. of trying to save um, Billy, I'm interested to see where this goes. I am now completely recanting that I thought she was a bad person from the beginning. Um, I th- I have been saying that in the last couple of episodes that I'm like, oh, there's more to this character. I think this is going to be the more to this character. I think it was just, as Derek, you pointed out when we reviewed episode two, I, she's just a psychologist. that She has that deadpan delivery to mm-hmm. ensure that there is no, what do you mean by that tone type of kind yeah. of thing. It's the way she delivers it. So in, so in a different way, like we said last episode, don't take it off the table that she is a bad guy, but she might become one exactly. later on in the series. Exactly. Yeah. But right now, she's certainly not a bad person. It feels like she's willing to help this guy who she's seen at his lowest depths. We saw that in the flashback at the beginning of the episode and the memories at the beginning of the episode. She's seen him at a really low depth all the way through and she just believes she can save him and that might lead her to do silly things like a guy turning up at your house covered in a dead man's blood, allowing him to wash himself off and saying you'll take care of them. That's a pretty silly decision. <laughs> Call the police and help him while he's behind yeah, exactly. bars. <laughs> I mean, as well, Billy kept her alive after he had escaped from the hospital as well you know so it's not like he um suddenly just like used the taser or or used the truncheon on her uh and not to kill her off it's such an interesting choice of words billy didn't kill her when she left the hospital didn't keep her alive she was alive no <laughs> when when they when he escaped yeah. with her he didn't then he didn't kill her, kill her. yeah it's not that he kept her alive well, yeah. <laughs> so again i think billy's getting his way back in again after season one John. yeah maybe um i i think the other great thing here in in um dr dumont's house is again it it, it talks of billy's own kind of ptsd through the the physical scarring and, and this all at sea 
feeling that he has because he can't put connections together. Mm -hmm. He can't fully understand who or what he is or where he belongs. Um, you know, like he, he keeps reminiscing fondly of his military service. That's where he belonged. That was his family yeah. and, and all that. Uh, and he, he has a really nice uh, moment where he says, there's something on the edge of my mind, a dark shadow waiting for me, and mm -hmm. uh, presumably about the Punisher again. And that it's almost that traumatic element of what happened to him on the fur ground. So I, I think that's quite nice, you know, given that season one was all about this uh, PTSD coming back from military service. And then we have, you know, a really bad guy going through um, a significant physical um, mutilation in a sense mm -hmm. and mental breakdown. And he is having to recover from that. As Dina Madani says, you know, yeah. she never thought it would happen, but he just got, better and progressed and got better and so on uh, so i thought that was really nice um i think maybe just before we go on to bullet point five i think going back to arthur uh, being found by madani mm -hmm. um you know we have that really it's real shocking moment where she hears you know a creaky floorboard turns around and just fires off a shot and it's mahoney it's two shots yeah mm -hmm. it's sergeant mahoney uh taking two slugs uh to his bulletproof vest i was like whoa okay do you know what i am so glad in season one we saw madani taking her gun to the gun range and shooting her gun at the torso that's up up on the uh on the shooting range because we know she can hit two bullets right in the middle of someone's chest we know she can do that that's how well trained she is with a gun but that's all the protection he's wearing is just this bulletproof vest if she'd moved it like you know half an inch to the left or right or you know gone for the headshot which she probably could do at a good at a reasonable distance this is a very short distance between the two of them so if she'd gone for the headshot could have killed him instantly so very glad she spent all those hours down the gun range yeah and i, I i'm actually i'm with her though he should have identified himself yeah, like yeah, that's yeah, why, like, that's why you see he doesn't really say anything back because she's like, mm -hmm. "Why didn't you identify yourself?" Yes, it's not like he's following a perp. It's not like he's following a criminal. He's following Madani. He knows exactly who it is that he's following. So the minute she went inside the door and was around the corner, he should have gone. I'm right here. Yeah. You know, he knows she's there for the reason that she's been following Russo. The reason she's in the house is because she knew he was going to go back to Arthur with the conversation she had with Frank. And he knows that that's the reason she's there because she's gotten herself to the same point that he did. But yeah, absolutely. He should have identified himself. And that could have been the end of uh, Officer Mahoney. Yeah, no. And uh, it'd be a shame. I, I do like the character. Mm -hmm. So due to the fact that Billy has committed murder again, Mm -hmm. Plus the surprise Madani feels. We see this is, seems to, at least in Madani's mind, solidify that Russo's back. Like, Billy yes. is back to his old ways, and this means that she now needs to take charge. She has to find him. It confirms her theory that Billy's... Uh always known how bad he was yeah um just one note i want to make just in here the uh, broom handle that's in the chest of of arthur killing him um i don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that this is a reference to the fact that billy mentions once again do you remember last season they commented on ben barnes's delivery of the line i play stickball in new york yeah. uh, that it felt like a really unusual line for an english actor playing an american actor to say it gets doubled down on here we hear him talking about watching other kids play baseball while he plays stickball on his local street stickball is effectively baseball played in, a, in an impoverished neighborhood where they take anything that's like a stick and use that to hit the baseball well you would have things like broom handles being used to play stickball so 
it's quite a, it's not too far of a leap, I think, to say the reason why they've used a broom handle is because it's connected with the whole baseball analogy and the whole stickball analogy. So. Also, I think that's also what Billy attacked him with as a kid. Um, I, yeah, that's yeah. kind of what I took away, which is vengeance. Hey, mm-hmm. you attacked me um, with a stick. I attacked you with a stick. Now I'm using a broomstick to close this chapter to get rid of mm-hmm. this shadow that's uh, following me. Yeah, um, yeah. But interesting. So I think, gents, without any further ado, let's move on to our final bullet point for this episode. Mm-hmm. And it's none other than Amy's therapy session. Well, after Amy has um, gone to bed and she can't sleep on top of the bed, she has a lovely shower and grabs mm-hmm. Madani's dressing gown because she does smell herself. I thought that was very funny. I thought it was uh-huh. a great scene. She's looking at all the really clean clothes Manani has, and then she gets this whiff, and she goes, oh, it's me. Um, exactly. So she goes yeah. for the shower. I was doing a lot of that last week, actually, in the conference that I was at, where it was like, you know, inside the conference center, and I was like, oh, no. Is that me? <laughs> I, I, I've yeah. been running around. You were running around Midwest America, kind of not showering for days, and then go, oh, yeah, that's me. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely noticed at the beginning of the episode where you see that conversation between Frank and Amy and you look at her hands and the hands are still covered in blood. Like she has had no opportunity after uh, taking care of the police officer back in Michigan. She had no opportunity to even have a shower at this stage. She just was thrown on a helicopter and off she goes. They are they are look the worst from where for those first three episodes. So, yes, absolutely right of her to go and take that shower. Yeah, no. And then we see her get into the bed, which I couldn't understand it took me a second to figure out until she gets under the bed um and then then we get the flashback because i was like what is going on are we just gonna like because it was so quiet and it's her just Mm -hmm. staring on the left and then shifting to the right and i'm like are are they playing that she like like, she's about to run she's thinking about running what because it was so silent and all I was thinking throughout it was, she's just one of those people like myself who don't understand why there's cushions on a bed. Oh, yeah. Decorative cushions on a bed. You can't sleep on them. What the hell are they there for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it, was a bit of a, it was a bit of a weird one. But then we get her background to a degree. So she worked for a woman named Fiona on various mm-hmm. jobs. I, I'm getting the sense of Oliver Twist, which is like Fiona's her Fagan they're a potentially a group of young kids who worked for this mm-hmm. woman on various quote unquote jobs doing pickpocketing or theft or con jobs or whatever that was requested of them. They Fiona looked after them. But her yeah. it's her last job that has caused all this, which is mm-hmm. they were asked to go with her friends and act as waiting staff at a funeral mm-hmm. and take photos of people at the funeral who were quote unquote hugging and sobbing. And she yeah. felt weird about it. It's a really weird one, isn't it? Yeah, you, you wouldn't expect that this was the kind of jobs they'd done before. In fact, Amy's kind of going, it was a bit of an odd job. Like, it does stand out in her brain as to what job it is she could be uh, being tracked down for. Uh, obviously, we know that she has those photographs uh, in those two roles that have been uh, that are being carried by Frank at the moment. So she knows what job it is she's being tracked down for. But even still, she definitely is aware how unusual the job itself was uh, it doesn't feel like those kind of jobs were the ones they did before but yeah she talks about this whole thing of uh, the preacher or the man in black turning up to kill all of her friends while she's out and her having to hide under the bed um, so that he doesn't kill her when he comes back so it does explain why she has her own post-traumatic stress by 
living through that situation. That's why she has to sleep under the bed. Um, we see her completely freak out when Frank needs to go out and visit Curtis and locks her in the room. We see her completely freaked out that she could have been trapped in there because that's her worst nightmare. So we, we know she has her own uh, issues that she has to deal with as well as every other character in the show. Yeah, and we find out that the, the man who had tracked them down and killed her colleagues, she does mention the preacher man or uh, mm-hmm. the man in black. Until we find his name, we can call him either. It's interchangeable yeah. at this point. She, she says that he's wearing clothes like a preacher. Isn't yeah. It? yeah. And it's interesting because I'm, I'm trying to figure, my, straight away my head goes to mafia straight away that is where my mind is going is that they went she went they went to a funeral and catered a mafia funeral and were taking right. photos of potentially people who should not be alive or whatever it's definitely people that shouldn't be together definitely it's it's something's happened somebody's died there's been a funeral held for somebody and the people that are in the room hugging each other and and supporting each other shouldn't be doing that i think is the is the implication from what she's describing anyway is that people that are there shouldn't ever be meeting or it's someone that never comes out in public and she's got a photograph. That's where my head's going. Or I believe it's potentially the Schultz. So the Schultz are not supposed to be interacting with these people. They're the clean front and then suddenly Mm. they're there with all these mafia bosses or something like that and there's a photo of them or something along those lines and that's why they've sent the preacher man to go get them. Or it's someone who's dead. You know, you hear all these weird mafia stories about like, like the Magi are alive and this, the, the godfather who everyone thought was dead is actually, or the man who was in, who was the cops think are dead is actually alive, for example. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really intriguing. Uh, I think Amy's story you know fiona who's the woman you know these photos what do they depict you know she talks about guys kissing hugging and crying and it's like you know what's going on in chicago illinois um what was the job uh you know it it is really interesting and intriguing Mm -hmm. And I really like how, you know, this flashback or this memory where she's under the bed and she looks one way and the other and she sees the her dead friends or the people that she was doing this last job with uh, in Chicago. Again, then, I like how ultimately it, it connects into Frank's past as well when she learns about that. Uh, I think that's really nicely. And, and where she suddenly sees this, similarity between the two of them it connects them Mm -hmm. uh, in in this moment and that's why i think for me it's a really good uh, thematic episode this one it really is about connections and memories uh, and telling that story through that and i I really enjoyed that Mm -hmm. yeah i'm right there with you she's the i don't want to call her the punisher et but like it's (laughs) if you know what i mean the little little punisher if we want to call her that like it's a punisher sidekick like similar to the way batman had robin who had a similar uh like tragedy of losing his parents that's where batman takes him in i can see frank taking her in because he already talks about well no you can't run anymore they're gonna find you you need to stop and get revenge and yeah. you need to go after them and i think that's after her R- rachel or amy I-, I will do this for the rest of the season i'll just keep calling her random mm-hmm. names that she's used we see amy is has the same loss in her life now that frank has she has nothing Mm. except frank so i can see this happening Um, it's going to be interesting to see where where they go with this 
Yeah, I do really like that moment with Frank and Amy where Amy says, I've got a friend in New York who's doing really well for herself. She'll take us in. And Frank kind of goes, um, you have to stop thinking like that. That girl will be dead if we go anywhere near her house. It's like welcome to Frank's world is the way that Amy's being led into it. It is also a great scene as Amy's going back through the history of Frank, all the way back through Daredevil, where he appeared in court, all the way back through everything that happened through season season one of, of The Punisher. And we have the other guy that's helping her out, the guy that's trying to sell her the computer. We have him going looking at the computer and going, that's the Punisher. He was pretty cool. <laughs> you know, I love that she's also getting a little bit of background about the feeling of people from New York about the Punisher, you know, that he's died twice effectively and now they think he's really dead and she's looking at him going, uh, no, he's definitely not dead. He's definitely alive and in the apartment I'm staying in, you know? Yeah, yeah no, it was good. So I, I think, gentlemen, with that... Let's kind of wrap up our bullet points and move over to some mm-hmm. notes for this episode. So it's not the Punisher without a bit of whiskey watch. So, John, I'm assuming you found something. Uh, oh, well, yes. Uh, shall we make it Irish, I think, is uh, the phrase that we should say. A coffee gone from non-alcoholic directly to an alcoholic beverage. So yeah. a bit of Irish whiskey going in there. Um, I caught it as Tempest Irish Whiskey. Right. I don't know whether it was exactly. It was really difficult to tell because um, the the front label was uh, away from the the TV. You just sort of caught the back label. Yeah. Uh, but this was when Arthur and Billy were showing a coffee early morning, and why not for the nerves for the difficult conversation that was to come to Irish it up a little uh, and get a good old Irish coffee. Yeah. Uh, Although, yeah, he forgot the sugar and didn't put any cream on top. So I know. Just a slug of whiskey, really, in the coffee. Yeah, I think as an Irish person, it's one of those things that does annoy me in American shows where they go, do you want to Irish this up a bit and lash a little, a little <laughs> alcohol in whatever they're drinking and think that that's it? And Irish coffee is actually a drink. It's a mixed drink. It just happens to be coffee-based. It's not just lashing some vodka into something or some whiskey into something to Irish it up a little. Because that just means... Once again, we're saying that Irish people are all alcoholics. You know, I love a good Irish coffee. An Irish coffee generally is a cup of coffee, shot of whiskey, some whipped cream on top and some sugar inside it to sweeten up the really bitter taste that you get from having whiskey and coffee together. So if, if he goes, do you want an Irish coffee and then spend 20 minutes making it? That's an Irish coffee. <laughs> I mean, but you? that would have been a brilliant way. Do you want an Irish coffee? <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Let me just go over. He, goes like, he literally pulls back a cupboard out of the espresso machine. Like, kind of just like... Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you oh, were saying... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be... Can, do you want me to Italian it up a little and then start making some espresso? <laughs> espresso yeah. I mean, could you imagine if he was like... He brought out the Tia Maria instead and mm-hmm. did a Calypso coffee. <laughs> exactly. It was like... Yay! Or he, even worse, he's like, do you want a Thanksgiving this up? And then just really bring us a pumpkin latte from Starbucks. It's just like, yeah! <laughs> Like, it's pumpkin time. Oh, yeah. But anyway, moving on. Anything else? Yeah, the only other thing is that uh, the the book that Curtis is reading, where he's uh, looking at it you know, fondly uh, with his firearm by his side, is Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. Right. Which does echo slightly some of what's going on in this season of The Punisher. I thought it might. Come on, John, tell us what. So it's about an adolescent runaway, only known as the kid, mm-hmm. um, who comes across this really evil large figure who's very talented, very educated, called Judge Holden, so a bit like uh, the, the man in black. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it ends up being recognised as a pretty good fighter, but meets a military person to go off to Mexico to fight to... Um, 
uh, regain lands from Mexico for the US. So meets this military figure. Uh, so not exactly the no. same, absolutely, but there are, are nice little echoes here of um, of the Punisher in Blood Meridian. Inspiration, possibly. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. I know we used to get uh, Bookwatch a lot in Luke Cage season one. There was a lot of things layered in by Chio Coker in, in season one of Luke Cage that it added loads more to the character of Luke Cage. So, uh, so I like that we're seeing a little bit of this in Punisher season two. Yeah. So I think with that, on to our defense. So, Chris, do you defend this episode of The Punisher, episode four? I do defend this. I'm going to put that this is the Basil Exposition episode. This is our <laughs> this is our slow down episode where they pump on the brakes and they very much like, okay, we're going to get you caught up to speed about why people are doing what they're doing. Um, I can see this potentially being somewhat of the least favorite for a lot of our listeners and probably viewers in general. Um, we enjoy this because we enjoy what the writers do and we kind of look deeper into a lot of it. Um, but I can see that this is a slow episode for people um, and could potentially be the drop episode, if you know what I mean, where some people will may drop at this point and not come back. But we know it's going to get like that. We know Frank is going to put his foot on the gas again very soon. Um, so I just think if I was to do this again, I would have sprinkled in some more action, um, just to keep the viewers. But personally, I defend it and personally, I'm happy with what we got. I just, I, I think they may have missed a beat. If you see where I'm coming from, if I'm going to guess anything, I think our fellow defenders will be listening to this going, yeah, it was kind of my least favorite of the four. I can see that, but also it is exactly what it says on the thing. It's the Basel exposition. They want you to start empathizing with a lot of these characters. And even crazily, they're trying to make us empathize for Billy Russo. Yeah. Which is not working right now for me. And that's probably also a point that I'm deducting at this point as well in my head if I'm pointing it up because they're trying their hardest. I, I don't have empathy because I know Billy Russo from season one. Yeah, it's a good point that you bring up, Chris. I actually meant to bring this up in our discussion in the episode itself. It, this isn't working at all for me. Um, Billy Russo began the series last season as good-looking guy, all-American, you know, gets everything he wants, can do anything he wants. And by the end of the season, we saw how horrible a person he was. The fact that he turned on his best friend and had his family killed, you know, he did all that just for money. That's what we found out in season one. Don't get me into season two with no other episodes and no other characters. Don't get me to season two and tell me, oh, but he had a really hard life. So we should sympathize with him or empathize with him again. Don't do that. You can't do that again for the character. I don't know what they're trying to do with them but i don't need to be told to empathize and sympathize with billy russo because i did that in season one i felt he was frank's best friend so we were getting a character that was a friend of frank's that turned on him he's turned on him now he's already gone past don't bring him back to a point before turning on him by saying oh he has amnesia and he can't remember what he did so you're supposed to feel for him that's not working for me it's funny you see i i'm i agree i mean i certainly don't empathize with him i think for me um, I'm not trying to see this, I'm not trying to read these episodes as being redemptive for Billy Russo. I think what these are saying are he has, he's trying to find a way back and that way back 
just happens to be telling a bit more about the character, but that way back is always going to be evil. Because I think for me, that whole intense moment with Arthur, um, you know, yes, you could go, well, I'm supposed to feel sorry for uh, Billy here because he was an orphan and he was in an abusive home uh, uh, for single kids with this guy, Arthur. But ultimately, I take from that less about trying to empathize with him, more about the fact that he he was hard as nails. He always had this bad streak. And ultimately, this is where he's going to get back to. He's not going to suddenly change his personality. I, I think what they're saying here is that he is inherently evil. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like some of the serial killers, you look at back at their stuff, they have had bad childhoods. Um, it's probably why they killed however many people they did. Mm. Uh, but you don't necessarily look at that as empathy, but that is part of their tale. No, I, I, I know what you're saying, but I think the show is actually trying to do this. This is, the, mm. this is the challenge for me. I think they have the character Dumont that's believing everything that Billy's saying. If you don't know his entire history and you're watching Billy, you may have empathy with him. I'm definitely more on Madani's side where I'm going, but he wasn't even punished for what he did. Don't let him out. Don't let him away with it because you feel sorry for him. Don't treat him like Dumont's treating him because you feel sorry for him. He needs to be punished. But I think by this fact that they're showing all of this at this time and Dumont's reaction to it, it's feeling like the show is trying to tell us to sympathize or empathize with Billy Russo. And I can't do that. We always knew that he was an orphan. We always knew he had a hard time. They're just showing us a bit more of it now in this season. So I don't feel bad for Billy. I want Billy to be captured and put in prison before he kills more people. That's what I want. Yeah, I I, I don't. I don't. I want him to have a massive showdown with Frank Castle. Well, that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or Frank to capture him or Frank to kill him. Yeah, I absolutely. think this is what I, we've already seen twice now that they, they've called out that they need to take the shot. Take the shot. Don't pull the shot or go wide or not take it or freeze. Madani says it and Frank calls it back to her. Like, mm-hmm. I think what they're trying to set up will be that potentially Billy's not going to be the same person and then they're not going to take the shot and it turns out he actually was the same person. I really don't like what they're doing, but again, it's four episodes in, so maybe there's a reason. And I trust these writers that hopefully yeah. there is a reason they're trying this. Yeah, they've twisted a few things on, the, on its head already as the season's gone so far. Things that we thought were happening in episode one weren't happening, so totally understand. Let's, as you say, crack on with the defense. John... Do you defend this episode of The Punisher? I do defend this episode of uh, The Punisher. I give it four dig bicks out of five. Um, yeah, I... That's our fourth take on that, isn't it? It really is. Um, <laughs> and there's going to be more. Uh, no, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this. I, I liked um, getting the memories. I prefer that... I'm glad that it wasn't a flashback. I mean, I know, Chris, you've mentioned it as flashbacks. I, for me, this is like recalling. Um, yeah. I thought it was nice. Um I like that we got uh, Billy Russo's uh, background here with Arthur. I thought mm-hmm. that was probably the most intense scene in, in this uh, episode. It didn't give me empathy for him. I think he's still evil, um, and he will turn out to be. Um, like, I have a feeling it would be nice to see Dumont get pulled in, lured in by his charm, because that's what he does. That's how he operates but alternatively she could just get knocked off um and will be dead we'll see her dead um in the in the next episode i i really like seeing curtis back having the punisher come back and i I just felt we got a bit more as well about 
Amy, her background, and why this man in black um, is coming after her. No real big answers to this, but just um, it, it opens up that that story uh, a bit more. Uh, and I would suspect that maybe in the next episode we will come back to this man in black coming to New York yeah. to to chase her down. Um, and I really want to see how that interacts with this Billy Russo. Because as I said, for the first three episodes, I felt there was a little disconnect actually when they went back to Madani and Russo compared to this, the scenes that were being done um, in uh, Michigan and in the countryside at, at the sheriff's office, at the roadhouse bar and all this kind of thing. It felt slightly different to what was going on in New York. So. Yeah. I, I think this is progressing really nicely. Um, yeah, I think uh, I certainly preferred the first three, uh, but nonetheless, um, I, I really did enjoy uh, this and do defend it. So, yeah. Derek, do you defend this episode of The Punisher? Yeah, I do defend this episode. I think what we said about the first three episodes was that it was its own little movie. It was its own little situation of Frank out of New York on the road dealing with a situation and that movie ended at the end of episode three where they hop on the helicopter and fly to new york well if i'm going to accept that that's what i thought about the first three episodes then i'm going to have to accept that when they arrive in new york it's going to have to be another scene setting episode we're going to have to go back to the characters again and go right now we're all in new york how do we set all these characters up to go on their collision course that we know they're going to how do we get everybody put into position so that they go after billy russo and they're all on each other's side so it absolutely had to be this type of episode for episode four, I suppose, because we had that for episode one already, where it was the new normal for Frank. And now we're going back to get another new normal in episode four. It does kind of slow progress a little bit. It's not caning it from episode one to episode 13 with, you know, crack along with more and more violence and escalating every single episode. Of course, that would be very difficult to watch anyway. Uh, as we mentioned earlier on with the idea that most people watch three episodes or two and a half episodes and then two and a half episodes as, as they progress through these episodes it does make sense that the fourth episode would kind of reset things a little bit maybe if you haven't watched the show for a week or two it's a nice recap of what's been going on you know uh, of all of these characters but lots of great new information and i love some really good moments in here amy and frank having their conversation about frank's past the pain and hurt on john Berntal's face when amy says to him you saw your family killed in front of you executed in front of you and you never told me and the pain on his face absolutely showing frank doesn't want to tell anybody this story anymore he doesn't want his whole life to be defined by that moment where every time he meets someone he has to tell them that this happened to his family it's amazing what he can get across as an actor in the show and i love seeing it I love some other great moments in the show but again you guys have uh, have taken all of them but they're they're really good moments to to talk about uh, looking forward to episode five and i know the season is going to change again as we go through the rest of the show uh, only drawback for me i think is if the showrunners are trying to make us care and empathize with Billy. That story is not interesting me at all. So move on and make him the bad guy is what I'm looking forward to. Uh, guys, we have got some feedback from our wonderful fellow defenders again for this episode. Uh, lots more feedback coming in as the first weekend of the Punisher release date comes uh, comes in. First up, we got some feedback from Twitter at Delta Sphere 41 says, really, really enjoying the Punisher season two. Mr. Bernthal is a beast and a dude and a really nice man. Yes, then Bob Phillip followed up going, two episodes of the show down and I can't wait for the second podcast. John Bernthal certainly has a face made for a mugshot, though. (laughs) Come on, Bob. I love it. 
Uh, Gregory Pang also says on episode 201, good to see a bit of Happy Frank and then Raging Punisher Frank and totally believe that they're the same character and great to have Punisher season two back after trying to get through four episodes of Titans. Interesting, Gregory. Uh, I've seen a couple of episodes of Titans, really enjoying it. Unfortunately, it all came out in Netflix over here in one week, which was only a week ago. So I'm really looking forward to going back to it. But I can I can wait until summertime after uh, after the Punisher and, Je- and Jessica Jones finish. Um, did enjoy it, but looking forward to uh, to getting through more of these wonderful Marvel Netflix shows. It felt a little bit too CW mixed with Marvel Netflix, an attempt to do both things at the same time at, on the show. So uh, I can wait for yeah, it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. As you said, it was it was a bit of a, a crazy couple of weeks in terms of uh, drops of content. So they will all mm-hmm. be there waiting for me in the end. Uh, we also got some additional feedback for. Episode Episode one over on our Facebook group from Jamie Alexander, who said, mm-hmm. very different feel from season one. And I kind of a slow episode, if I'm being honest, but it definitely does a great job of setting up what's to come. I can't help but wonder if Drunk Madani is responsible for the um, decoration on Bay's mask. <laughs> Exactly. You see, that's what I was saying, Jamie. You're not, we're not the only ones. Everybody thinks that Madani just got a little bit drunk and, draw, and drew on the face of Billy. Yeah, I'm so glad uh, you thought the same thing as well, Jamie. Um, because, yeah, I thought that as well. I thought she's been... Uh, a naughty little person. <laughs> Kristen Howe also says, Wow, what a solid start to the season. They spent so much time on Beth that it was either going to be death or an introduction to a new lead, but I'm not sure which one we got. <laughs> I love Frank and Beth's chemistry, though. Hope to see more of her in the future. Uh, love that we got two voices out of Frank Castle. His peace voice, where he's kind and affirming, and then his Punisher voice, where he's Batman? But yeah, Batman, uh, but way better. Loved the first episode. Can't wait for more. Uh, great thoughts, Kristen. Uh, really great to hear from you about The Punisher. I know you loved Punisher season one. And if anybody doesn't know Kristen Howe, uh, she's the host of, of House Podcastica, the best podcast uh, recapping Game of Thrones. I say that because I'm on one episode as well. So I got to do an episode with her a couple of weeks ago. Really enjoyed it. Uh, Kristen's got such great thoughts. <laughs> Excellent stuff. You cheated on us? Only with the best, though, Chris. Only with the best. So if someone asks us to go on a podcast, I'll go if someone is as amazing as Kristen is talking about Game of Thrones. Yes. House O'Neill was talking about the finale of season five. Mm -hmm. Um, Without House Jones or House Harrison, we were too busy defending against the White Walkers, and he leaves (laughs) his post anyway. I think... Thank you, Christian, for the feedback. Really good to to hear. I don't know about the way better than Batman. I kind of like them equally, but yeah. <laughs> well, we have done uh, what 130 episodes of Gotham as well, so we're, <laughs> yeah. we're also Batman aficionados as well. So. And we have our first voicemail of the season from our wonderful fellow defender, Ryan. Hello there, fellow defenders. I'd like to start off by saying a happy new year. Hope everyone had a good Christmas break. Now we are fully into 2019 and our first Marvel treat is Punisher Season 2. I hope we're all rubbing our hands together and looking forward to it because I certainly am. I'd like to give my little two pence review on Episodes 1 and 2. I am liking the fact that I don't really know much about the storyline they're going to tell. Um, Hopefully, I'm hoping that we'll get a certain character uh, that they gave us at the last episode of the last season. If you all kind of know who I'm talking about, I don't really want to be spoiling it for anybody, but I'm sure you all do know what I'm talking about. Hopefully that will um, escalate into a big, big, bad character that we can all enjoy. Um, I'm liking the fact that Frank Castle actually smiled a couple times in the first episode. 
and ended up getting lucky with a lady in the evening. So fair play to him. Uh, the teenager, Amy, Rachel, not really sure what her name is. I think she's uh, very untrustworthy. And the man in black, I don't know. <laughs> Literally, I don't know. So let's see. I All in all, though, I'm liking it as usual. Agree with a couple of you said first episode fight choreography was really, really good. So, yeah, keep up the good work, please. And I'll see you guys soon. Take care. Thanks so much and great to hear from you again, Ryan. That's uh, really good feedback for the first couple of episodes of the show. Yeah, Frank, getting lucky episode one. Well done. A brand new Frank. A happy Frank. Smiley Frank. It's really nice. That's never going to last long in this show, of course. Uh, yes, by now, as we're talking, we do know, considered the first time we saw Billy Russo with his doctor calling him Jigsaw, we do know exactly who's going to be this season, which is nice. At least we have that very early reveal so we don't have to hide that from anybody that may not know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, uh, thanks so much, Ryan. Um, yeah, I definitely get where you're coming from with Amy, you know, giving out all these different names, also some of the stuff that she does. But I think it's more just, I still not entirely sure I fully connected with this character. Like, I, I do quite like her interaction with, um, with Frank, but there's just some things that I, I'm not warming to her, um, as such, you know. So I don't know whether it's that I still feel she's untrustworthy or whether I'm just kind of a little cool about the character. It doesn't seem to me to be someone that I would expect Frank to go out of his way to save, to be honest. Um, but maybe that's a little harsh, uh, from, <laughs> from me on that one. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks very much for that feedback, Greg. Chris, do you want to take the email that we had in? Yeah. Cool. We got some feedback from Dan Shields about episode three. He started by saying, Gentlemen, this episode was one of my favorite Punisher episodes. I'm a sucker for siege movies. And this was an extremely good take on the premise. My all-time favorite siege movie is John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13. This was based on the classic Western Rio Bravo. Mm-hmm. For those across the pond, the British thriller F, released in 2010, uses the same siege premise in a school setting. Now I can add Punisher Episode 3 to that list. This is shaping up to be a great season. I love your coverage of it. Best wishes, Dan. Dan, thank you so much. Yeah, we actually talked about that. I'm a huge fan on Assault on Precinct 13. I like the original and then the... Some people disagree but i do like the uh, remake as well there are some other really good ones one that all of you might be interested in with a sci-fi twist uh, attack the block with a young john boyega yeah no that's a great movie attack the block uh, a good uh, scally movie actually as well and i think uh, i'm really intrigued about the the thriller f uh, I must say I've not seen that, and that mm-hmm. sounds really, uh, really intriguing. Um, as uh, British sort of goes, it's almost like the the one that's based around the exams uh, as well. Exam, exam, yeah. right? <laughs> Which is again pretty spooky. Uh, I quite like that as well. Interesting, interesting. Thanks so much for the feedback, Dan. Yeah, thank you so much for the feedback, Dan. Uh, On to some episode three feedback as well from our Facebook group. Again, Jamie Alexander goes, between the cheap motels and backwards jail, I feel like I'm watching Supernatural. Nice. Uh, That's, that's, that's all right. I like, uh, Uh I like the sound of that. Um, and in no way do I mean that as a bad thing. I really want to know more about Rachel. I kind of have mixed feelings about the evil Christian villain. Mm -hmm. On one hand, and I would say this as someone who was raised in a conservative right-wing fundamentalist Christian household, that mindset and culture is extremely problematic and part of what's wrong with the USA. Um, So it feels timely and relevant. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it feels a little unoriginal and tropey. I assume the character will be fleshed out 
uh, though, in future episodes. So I'm trying to reserve judgment. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. I, I think it'll be really interesting just to see, you know, is he the evil Christian villain? Um, where's his background? Is he coming from that right-wing uh, fundamentalist? Um, it, it, it will be intriguing. He is certainly an evil Christian because he quotes Bible verse lots. He does, but I think Chris made a really good point that he's not sure whether he belonged to the actual church or whether they just met each other in the church and he's not not representing the church, that he himself might be just a right-wing fundamental Christian, that it's not a whole group of these people going out and killing people for the purpose of furthering their beliefs, which does make it slightly different. Like I'm, I'm a huge wise guy fan from back in the eighties and nineties. And they, even they had storylines of right wing fundamental Christians going up against other people and killing them to further their agendas. So you're absolutely right. If that's the path they go down, that's absolutely as tropey as it gets. <laughs> you know, 30 years on, you can think of new yeah. things to do on television. But I think now we're four episodes into the show we still haven't learned a huge amount more about his story, so I'm hoping that we'll see something uh, new in the future. Yeah, and how he's connected to the Schultzes yeah. and to maybe this Fiona uh, girl as well. So Yeah, exactly, exactly. Chris, do you want to take the next one? Yes, Ronaldo came back to give us his feedback on episode three, where he said, love this episode, as is basically the trope of the film where a small group are trapped against an overwhelming force. Punisher was a badass, taking nearly all of them down. And Pilgrim, he's named at least in the Netflix subtitles, is a scary villain. Love the sheriff department with the likes of Dobbs and Ogden. Having Ogden's brother as the drunken detainee rounded out a very intimate band of characters, which we got to know well in the 52 minutes of the show. Now, off to New York, which I guess closes out the small chapter in the season. Though we all know Pilgrim returns at some point. Ooh, he's named our bad guy. Interesting. Yeah, we haven't been watching this with subtitles, so we haven't seen this name. Uh, That's not making me think of any villain in the comic book, so that's fine if that's his name. That's not any uh, Punisher villain that I'm aware of, uh, a character called Pilgrim, so it's not spoiling anything for me to know the name. Yeah, and of course it is uh, a lot easier to say the man in black all all the time, for sure. sure. Uh, But yeah, no, thanks, uh, Ronaldo. I I completely agree. I thought this was a really nice little intimate... um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid kind of moment, uh, along with um, Pale Rider thrown in for for good measure. Yeah, uh, and it, and it was it was done uh, really nicely in the fifty two minutes as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, some feedback from episode four. Uh, Louis Jesus says one of the things I love about the Marvel Netflix shows is the actors they cast to play these roles. Mm-hmm. The same case with this season. And even though I'm loving everyone's performance in the show so far, Ben Barnes is stealing the show for me. I'd love to hear your opinion on his performance and how you feel about the character evolution going forward. Um, yeah, I think Billy Russo is a he was a fantastic character from season one. And I have to say, I, I do enjoy seeing um, him here in in season two as well i think for the first three episodes for me it did feel new york was slightly disconnected uh, with what was going on i've said that a few times now and, and i i definitely stand by that now that it's all moved to new york i'm really interested to see uh, what happens in terms of ben barnes's performance uh, i just think it's great um i think that moment uh, on the bus i think that the conflicted confusion that he shows i think you know that death stir that he gives to arthur uh in this episode mm-hmm. really really well done i think he is a, a fine um actor uh, delivering a really good 
um, and strong performance of someone dealing with mutilation and his own PTSD. But ultimately, when it comes to the crunch, when his memory does come back, he is evil. And Ben Barnes is doing such a great job. You're absolutely right, John. You know, one of the things to underline that we didn't really talk about in the episode here is that moment at the beginning of the episode where he gets off the bus and takes the clothes off the guy in the street. You saw the smile come on his face. You saw him walk away with all of that guy's clothes. That guy didn't survive. And it's the only time in the first four episodes where Billy is alone, not trying to prove anything to anybody at all. So it is a moment where we see the real Billy Russo as well. So um, so he, there's so much going on with the character and so much going on. I didn't mean by anything earlier on in the episode where I was saying that I don't like if the show is trying to make us empathize with him. I think he's doing a brilliant job in the role. Ben Barnes is fantastic. And playing a role like this, Ben Barnes is so well known for all the roles he's played in the past where he's just the pretty boy. You know, things like Stardust and Prince Caspian where there's definitely it's all about the looks with him season one as well of, of the punisher this episode where he's sitting there with a hood up and a mask on his face and still able to emote with just his eyes it's a great performance absolutely 100 percent agree my scene stealing moment for ben was the part where he just looks up at arthur with those eyes and mm-hmm. there's no emotion there's no there's no need to be it's just pure anger stoic anger and i just think it was brilliant so i'm really there with uh, Ben Bards as uh, show stealing. Now we'll see how he goes over the rest of the season. It's quite early. Yeah, I think there's so many great actors in, in this show. It's quite difficult already, especially because this is his first episode to, to say that he's stealing the entire show, but he's doing a great job. Uh, our final piece of feedback comes in from Ronaldo Guzmando on this episode. He says, my least favorite episode so far, but it was still watchable. I just can't seem to empathize with Billy Russo. And the show is obviously trying to paint a sympathetic view of him. Intriguing to learn more of, of Rachel's past. And I like how she now knows Frank is the Punisher. As shown, she's more trusting with him now, which is good. Love that moment, I must say, as, as I said. Amy learning about Frank. We're going to call her Amy and Rachel occasionally for the rest of the episodes. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but her learning about Frank and now trusting him because she knows what he's gone through and why he is trying to protect her because he doesn't want that, that to happen to anybody that could be within his sphere of protection i suppose uh, it's really good i think we've talked about the billy russo piece quite a bit as well we're probably on the same side as you right if the show is trying to make us empathize with them we're probably not on board if it's not and it's just something that they're going to change next episode and they're just trying to tell a story about billy russo well i guess we were wrong then. yes but <laughs> yeah thank you so much for everyone for all your feedback keep it coming in because fellow defenders we want to hear from you don't forget mm. When you're also sending the feedback and you're on your keyboard, why not write us your review over on Apple Podcasts or any of the other good podcast catchers such as Spotify, Google Play Podcasts, etc., etc. And don't forget to share the love. We're still in the early season, so make sure all the other fellow defenders who have yet to hear about us and are, could be interested in Punisher Season 2 deep dives, make sure you share it with them too. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't over at DefendersTVPodcast.com and all the links are there. We'll be back with our review of The Punisher Season 2 Episode 5, One-Eyed Jacks, next Tuesday. For mm-hmm. me, thank you so much. I am Chris and goodbye. Thanks so much for joining us, fellow Defenders. Really good to talk again about The Punisher Season 2. Yep, looking forward to, see, to Episode 5. Yeah, as always, thank you so much, fellow Defenders, for joining us. Uh, it has been a pleasure. Wondering uh, if Episode 5 is a crossover, since it's called One-Eyed Jacks, is a crossover with Twin Peaks? Are they going to be going to the uh, club in Twin Peaks, maybe? Probably not, but looking forward to it as well. Well, I think we're going to get takeout to watch Episode 5, and I'm going to order in a Pam and Pineapple pizza uh, to <laughs> eat as well. Uh, but not with a side order of Dig Bix, of course. Nice, uh, nice. But 
once we've uh, digested episode five, we'll be back uh, to speak with you again shortly. Bye. Now you're a lot of people standing blues, blues, but I'm gonna tell you what the blues is.